0: This podcast is intended for entertainment and opinion. Nothing discussed is meant to be a substitute for mental health treatment. If you are experiencing a mental health crisis, please call 988 or use the resources listed in the episode description. To see the sources and other resources mentioned in this episode, you can visit psychologicallymindedpod.com. To contact me with any questions or comments about this topic or upcoming topics, email me at psychmindedpod at gmail.com. And finally, please rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen to get new episodes as they post. Enjoy this episode! Hello, and welcome to Psychologically Minded. I'm your host, Grace Fowler, and today we are talking about Taylor Swift. I want to say right off the bat, I am a bit of a Swifty. I have loved Taylor Swift ever since I listened to her album, Red, which has been a while back now. Um, I would not say I'm the most aggressive of a Swifty, but I do like her music. I've listened to you know pretty much all of her albums. I was not able to get tickets to ERAs, as many of you probably were not able to either. But I do enjoy um, her her music. I mostly want to center this episode around talking about the way that Taylor Swift has become sort of this uber role model for her fans and the kind of public backlash that she gets, mostly from just existing. And I want to center that in my experience of being a teen girl and really being a part of the T-Swift bandwagon, like, the hating T-Swift bandwagon, because I, di- I didn't I did get into her music until I was in college, but as, like, a high schooler, I would go online or, you know, talk to friends about, like, oh, she's so annoying, she dates too many people, and it's so annoying how she writes all her songs about the people that she dates, yada, yada, yada. And for the beginning of Taylor Swift's music career, that was kind of the cultural conversation or discourse that was had about her that she she dates around too much and she writes songs about these relationships which was something she was almost like kind of shamed for because she was making these private experiences public and as I've aged as I've grown up and I'm no longer a teen girl even if I sometimes feel like I am I've come to realize that the sort of hatred that I felt for Taylor Swift as a teenager was itself a form of internalized misogyny and and overt overt misogyny but just these ideas that I had internalized as a young woman that to be a good girl or to be a role model you had to be chaste, you had to be um, you know like you you can't have complaints that was what a lot of the narrative would be around Taylor Swift was that she was like complaining about her relationships and so really I had latched on to those cultural messages and I think a lot of women my age uh, probably even younger and older but a lot of women my age really jumped on to that experience as well and I think my kind of journey of then coming to like her for her music and coming to a more nuanced personal opinion about her as a celebrity kind of shows the journey that I think Taylor Swift has been on as a public figure. And so I wanted to make this episode to be about some of those mechanisms or the symbolism of Taylor Swift that has led to these kind of public discourses about her, even when she has been pretty famously a person who doesn't talk a lot about herself and her her image is very carefully curated yet there are a lot of people who are in her fan base that feel that they know her very well so there's this kind of interesting dichotomy between her very carefully constructed persona and this sense of like closeness and knowing her that a lot of her fans have I'm going to start off this episode by talking about the concept of white feminism, because I think that this is a criticism that's leveraged against Taylor Swift often. And it's important, I think, to understand how she can sometimes embody white feminism and how sometimes that can become a label to dismiss white women in a way that is a little more nuanced than than it is black and white. So the term white feminism is just a way of denoting feminism that focuses mainly on the struggles of white women without addressing the unique forms of oppression that come with other types of intersectional identities, such as for black women, queer and trans women, disabled women, etc. The label or idea of denoting something as white feminism is different than like feminism in general, grew out of the second wave of feminism, which would be like in the 60s and 70s, where the focus of the feminist movement began to shift away from being exclusively about white women. So the first wave of feminism was the suffragettes, which were largely focused on white women. In fact, many of the suffragettes did not advocate for the abolition of slavery and did not believe that society should be Integrated, so there was a very massive hole missing in the ideology of the first wave of white feminists. In the second wave of feminism, and I mean even before, we start to see movements like womanism and mujerismo, which is like Latina feminism. This they start to arise to address the gaps that mainstream or white feminism had. So when someone or an article or something labels Taylor Swift as a white feminist. The idea behind that is that although she has publicly identified as a feminist, her feminism or the actions that she takes seems to leave people out of the conversation. One of these criticisms came up very recently when the, uh, album Midnights came out. Her, her most recent album came out. She had a, music video come out for her song, Antihero, and there are lyrics in the song that hint at her own struggles with her body and disordered eating and things like that. And the scene in the music video is Taylor stepping onto a scale, and rather than it showing a number, it just shows the word fat. While there is, you know, some artistic license being taken here and you have to kind of understand the message that she was saying that she's representing the part of herself that looks at certain numbers in the scale and associates them with these labels, the criticism was that overall she's using this label as it is a negative, that seeing the word fat on the scale would not be something that you would be excited to see and would be something that she's kind of hinting at that she's actively trying to avoid this leaves out a large chunk of women and or people who identify as more feminine. It leaves out a big chunk of those people who deal with body image issues. And on the other end, there were people who have lived with eating disorders who said that that was triggering for them. And the criticism came that like, it just kind of felt like she didn't think through the implications that that could have. That she was really just focusing on her own experience. And by doing that, left out a lot of people who could maybe relate to her song if that imagery hadn't been in there. I know this is a, <laughs> you might be listening to this and feeling like that's a very tiny thing to be upset about. But this kind of, I think, is very emblematic of the way that Taylor Swift has become such a megastar that even when she is making art, which is typically a very individualistic, subjective, individually subjective experience, she is routinely criticized as not being collective enough, right? Or not being representative enough. There is a big range between the incident in her music video and more extreme versions of white feminism where, which, actually, I would say that a lot of TERFs are usually white feminists, where they just completely miss the experience of people who should be part of their movement, or, you know, who relate to them on, on these identities. And they even turn against people who don't fit the idea of a feminist in their minds, which tends to be a white woman. Now, when I was preparing for this episode, I found this wonderful article called When the Label White Gets Attached in Pop Music Industry by Lee and O. Oh, and they broke down three aspects of white feminism that is often kind of used as a litmus test of is, is someone a white feminist or an inclusive feminist or transnational feminist. The three things are, is the person apolitical? Do they seem to only engage in feminism for personal benefit? And is there a lack of historical work for feminism? And so for Taylor Swift, there are a few things on each of these categories that fit into them, which is why it makes sense that she gets often labeled with this. For being apolitical, the authors note that this, was, this article was written in, I think, like 2012. They note that in during the 2008 election, she did not make any stance. She didn't say who she supported. She just kind of supported a general platform of women voting. So, it didn't matter who you voted for. It didn't matter which candidate. Um she just wanted you to vote. If for my Gen Z listeners, <laughs> 2008 was the year that Obama was elected. So it was it was kind of a historic election and a lot of celebrities had come out to support barack obama the same thing happened in 2016 when donald trump was running against hillary clinton taylor swift did not endorse any particular um candidate she didn't make it public who she voted for which was again in contrast to some of her contemporaries like Katy perry and beyonce who very clearly supported specific candidates It was not until 2018 that Taylor Swift began to be more open about her political beliefs where she, for the first time, publicly endorsed Democratic candidates in her home state of Tennessee and from then on began to make some more overt political statements and I think even has a pretty iconic tweet where she tweets at Donald Trump saying that he's he's a bad person for saying the looting and shooting stuff. A lot of people felt that this was a little too late to say something in 2018 after the 2016 election had happened and felt that Taylor Swift being the kind of superstar that she is and having a more conservative or trending toward conservative audience if she had come out and supported Hillary Clinton or at least denounced Donald Trump, that maybe there would have been some sort of change in the election. I don't think we can pin the 2016 election on Taylor at all. And I I don't I don't know if that really is true. But it is interesting that it then took another two years for her to more publicly start to come out and say that she thought these things were wrong. Um and she talks about it a little bit in one of her documentaries, I think it's Misreputation, where it's it was part of like being careful with her audience and not wanting to upset kind of the the delicate balance she had had, uh, especially because she came out of country music, and country music tends to be a little more conservative. Uh, the authors of this, the article that I was looking at, also were very nice in reminding us that in two thousand eight, Taylor was only seven, was only nineteen. So I don't know if we really need to expect a whole lot from a nineteen-year-old during a presidential election, but I do think that that kind of helps like center why some of these earlier political moments maybe she didn't. Um, speak out as much. However, by 2016, she ha- that prefrontal cortex had grown in. So maybe it would have been nice to hear her say at the moment that she didn't endorse Donald Trump and felt that his politics were damaging to a lot of people in her fan base. The next point is the personal benefit. So in- engaging in feminism for personal gain and in- ignoring the fate or plights of other people. Uh, they, they point out in this article that she has not necessarily organized specifically for women's rights. She has done a lot of philanthropic work and she donates a lot of money. At the time that they wrote this article, she hadn't done so much that was like specifically for women's rights or feminist causes. And they contrast that to artists like Beyonce and Lady Gaga, who by that time had partnered with specific organizations i think beyonce was doing that song the feminism song where she had the ted talk that played in the middle about what is feminism lady gaga did a lot of organizing around domestic violence um but taylor swift would say that she was a feminist but then didn't seem to put her money where her mouth was and this honestly made me think of i don't know if I don't know if any of my listeners remember this, but there was like this trend in like 2011, 2012 where celebrities would get asked in interviews all the time. Like, are you a feminist? And a lot of people would say things like I support women and women's rights, but I'm not a feminist because that hurts men. And I'm specifically thinking about Shailene Woodley when I say this, because she was the queen of being like, feminism is a dirty word. And I think it hurts people to identify as a feminist. Um, just a little aside but there was an era where truly in the wake of gamergate which is its whole <laughs> its whole own episode a lot of celebrities particularly women celebrities would get asked are you a feminist and they would say this kind of like in between thing to say like i am but i'm not because there was so much backlash around this word feminist and it became kind of like the status quo to say things like well of course you support women's rights or I think I think men and women should be equal so feminism means that you don't think men should be equal and it's like no <laughs> you're completely misrepresenting the movement Shailene Woodley um but yeah like and I think Taylor was a big part of that because that was when she 2009 was like her peak year like that was the album that came out in 2009 which i think is speak now is like one of her best selling albums that like she's never done better than that album i mean she still does amazing but like she's never made more album sales than that album um so this was like right in the time when it's like okay she's becoming an adult she's in her 20s and this is kind of the culture of celebrity at the time was to say things like, of course I support women, but I'm, I'm not a feminist. I believe Taylor did openly identify as a feminist, like obviously much sooner than Shailene Woodley ever did. <laughs> um, but she still was very, she was a little more like of a, a behind the scenes feminist um, when contrasted to those contemporaries like Beyonce and Lady Gaga. And then the last one was about a historical work, um, which is about, Like, is there anything prior to the moment that you say you identify as a feminist where you've done anything related to feminism or have any connection to kind of like the historical movement? Um, Taylor is kind of like a little bit of a newer feminist. She's been doing a little bit more organizing in the last few years, and it has ramped up a lot more since 2018. So I think she's kind of like finding her footing However, I would say that, like, a lot of the things that she does that get pointed to as, like, feminism are pretty rudimentary. The biggest example of this is off of her album, Lover. There's a song called The Man, where she basically spends the whole song saying, like, if if I was a man, then I would be able to do these things and not get judged for them. And, like, yeah, <laughs> agree. Um, it's it's kind of, like, a pretty rudimentary, like, feminism 101 most of the stuff is just that she's talking about maybe her sexuality or her relationships wouldn't be commented as on often. She could be kind of a bad person and still be told that she's cool if she was a man. And it it's just kind of like a very rudimentary men are this way. Women are the other way. And you know, like women, what is it? Women are from me- Venus and men are from Mars. Like it's kind of that, like she's breaking down men and women into like very narrow categories. However, much like i said about the barbie movie sometimes you need more mainstream media to be a little more rudimentary and not everyone is going to be listening to music that factors in judith butler's idea of gender performance you know what i mean like theory, gender theory or queer theory is not going to be like the foundation of the pop song that you're writing so it's things like that that tend to give her get her this label of white feminism because it seems to be things that are like below the surface or she doesn't seem to be as like plugged into the political movement of feminism as much. However, the authors and I tend to agree with them on this argue that applying this label of white feminism to an artist can be toxic because it shuts down any conversation and any opportunity for growth. And it doesn't take into consideration the ability of women to improve in terms of their feminism. Taylor Swift started out as a very young woman in her music career. She was she wasn't even an adult yet when she started. She was a teenager, and she's been in the public eye for a very long time and has still continued to grow and develop her understanding of what it means to be a feminist. And she's had to do that in a public way that many of us don't have to do, right? I got to be a misogynist little teenager who hated Taylor Swift with no real consequences, right? No one saw that. That was like a a situation I kind of had to go through privately. Taylor has had to do all of this in the private eye with constant demands from all sides of the aisle from her fan base. I don't know if I 100% agree with the authors that just that applying the label is toxic. I think that there are some things that need to be called out as white feminism that leave people out. And at the same time, I think there's a big difference between calling out someone's actions as being kind of like a white feminist versus labeling a whole person as one way. A lot of Taylor's critics also kind of point to her background as the way for understanding why it may be difficult for her to relate to other types of experiences. She although has this very carefully crafted identity or persona of being someone who, like, came from nothing, kind of worked her way up in the music scene. She actually comes from quite a wealthy family who, although she was uh, born and raised in Pennsylvania, they moved her to Nashville when she was a teenager to start to promote her music career. And her parents are, like, big finance people, so they were able to kind of get her in rooms that she wouldn't have gotten in otherwise. Um, and they help facilitate her record deal, which she signed at age 14. She's also thin, conventionally attractive, potentially heterosexual, white. Doors are going to open easier for her than they open for other groups of people. I, and I don't say this to detract from her talent. I think she's a fantastic songwriter and a powerful singer who has really evolved in her sound over her career. But we can kind of hold both things at the same time, that she is a talented person who also got into these rooms because of her privilege and the opportunities afforded to her. It's not the same thing as kind of working your way up from nothing. I don't doubt that she works her butt off every day, especially while doing these tours and writing albums. And at the same time, there are talented people who work their butts off every day and don't have parents that can introduce them to the right people. This is part of why these kind of um labels get applied to her because she doesn't always seem to be able to acknowledge that privilege and has been perfectly okay going along with the narrative that she like really started from nothing. One of the jokes that I often see online is she'll say that she grew up like in a small house or whatever and then people put like in a Farm town, and then people will post the picture of the house she grew up in, and it's like literally a mansion. It's like, it's like, okay, Taylor, that's that's nice that you want to pretend that you're like from the country, but like you grew up with wealth, and that's okay. Like, we're not, no one's asking her, well, I'm not asking her to apologize for coming from wealth, but I think that that can be part of the conversation that could maybe have less of those labels like white feminist applied to her if she was able to kind of acknowledge the way that that those things have given her a leg up over other people. Another way that her whiteness or kind of like her presentation works in her favor and sometimes against her is the way in which she is compared to her other contemporaries and given this label of Like Good Girl, The Girl Next Door, or The normal Girl. This is often in contrast to people or other artists like Miley Cyrus, who also became famous at a very young age and is a singer and got a lot of backlash for partying, drinking, doing some drugs, having some risque <laughs> moments in the media miley cyrus gets labeled as a bad girl and i think she's a good comparison because they're both white and they're both like I guess taylor's from pennsylvania but they're both like they came out of like the country scene even though they both don't do country anymore um i think they're good comparisons because they are both white and but even so that's let's just say there's less like variables to compare like against each other um but taylor swift often gets held up as this contrast of like She is this good girl. She is like appropriately feminine. She doesn't show off too much skin. That's often what gets weaponized against Miley. She shows too much skin and she becomes this like epitome of wholesomeness. She often also gets compared to someone like Lady Gaga, who is a lot more overt with her sexuality and her body um, and often uses her body for subversive artistic messages Whereas Taylor tends to dress a little more conservatively. She has a little more of a, she just has a different vibe and she doesn't engage with her sexuality in the same way that Lady Gaga does. She also gets compared to Nicki Minaj a lot, but I think there's a lot more (laughs) racism in that comparison. Uh, And it is interesting to compare Taylor Swift's persona to Nicki Minaj's persona because they're in like completely different genres of music. They're, like different age. I don't know. There's just so much more that's different between Taylor and Nikki. So when I hear that kind of comparison, it's a little bit of a red flag of like, this might be, this might be more about Nikki being black than it is about Taylor and her being compared to each other. But I digress. Taylor has also had to deal with some very difficult ways in which her image is used by like literally the Aryan nation. Um, she has become she easily became like a conservative and white supremacist dog whistle as um she inhabited these ideals that they often spout of abstinence, whiteness, and heterosexuality um I don't know if anyone listening remembers this, but before twenty thirteen some someone had made these memes uh, that were pictures of taylor swift with hitler quotes over them so it looked like she was saying the hitler quotes and they originally started as like a parody but they got picked up by white supremacists and alt-right communities online and by 2013 um these images were being put on sites like the daily stormer which is like a very overtly white supremacist website and a lot of these, like, alt-right communities had adopted Taylor Swift as this, like, Aryan icon that she was, like, the perfect type of, like, white, blonde woman. I, I don't think that that is as true to this day because I've seen people online being like, Taylor makes satanic music now, so I think they've, like, moved, distanced, herself from, distanced themselves from her a little bit. Um, but just, like, the function of her being, like, a white blonde woman who was not overtly sexual in the way that some of her contemporaries were even people like Katy perry miley cyrus lady gaga like all these women related to their sexualities in different ways and taylor just didn't and and that is okay like i think that that is sometimes part of representation is like having women or just people in general being able to represent themselves you know in whatever way is comfortable for them and at the same time it's what made her a target for these groups because they tend to focus on what they call traditional values, which are things like only having sex within marriage, women not working, and staying at home, which is just then makes it very funny that Taylor Swift became their icon because she's, like, literally the one working, like... Even in her longest relationship with Joe Alwyn, like she's clearly the breadwinner in the relationship and he was getting songwriting credits so he could have a little pocket money, <laughs> even though we know Joe didn't write any of those songs. Um, But so yeah, like just her aesthetic gets co-opted by these more conservative people. And I think that's part of why there was so much of a backlash when she did speak out about politics, because when she didn't speak out, then these groups can put whatever they want on her, right? Conservative groups can assume she's a Trump supporter or a Republican because she fits their ideal of what a like good Republican girl is. The left can put their... Or liberals can put their ideas on her because she hasn't said anything different and she is a, like, a celebrity woman and they tend to be more liberal. So her being silent allowed a lot of people to project onto her what they wanted her to believe. So when she did finally come out in 2018 and make her first post about how which candidate she was supporting in the Tennessee Senate race, which were two Democrats, um, she got a lot of people saying, why don't you stick to singing? You shouldn't be engaged in politics at all. Like, blah, blah, blah. And a lot of the pushback was like, well, you are or you used to be a country artist, so of course your audience is conservative, so you have to cater to your conservative audience. And I think my favorite thing about people who, say, stick to singing or stick to basketball and not politics is, like, politics is, like, literally about people's opinions. Like, (laughs) the main political activity we have in this country is voting, and voting is you picking your own personal candidate that you have an opinion on. So I I don't understand why... Something that is based on personal opinions is not the domain of celebrities. Like they also have personal opinions. <laughs> um, so in my the way that I look at it is, you have two choices when your celebrity, your favorite celebrity, has different political beliefs than you. You can try to scream and yell and persuade them to be on your side, or you can let it go and figure out how you want to engage with their content moving forward. I think for some people. There is an ability to separate the art from the artist. And so in the case of Taylor Swift, if you're someone who is a hardcore Republican, perhaps you can put aside that she supports Democrats and still listen to her music. Or you can decide to no longer engage with her content because her political beliefs are not the same as yours. There are some artists that I have stopped listening to because of their personal conduct. For example, I don't listen to Chris Brown anymore. I haven't for a very long time. Because of his pattern of mistreating and abusing women. And it's not just the Rihanna incident. Like there's there's a pattern here. And for me, that is someone who... Obviously, I'm never going to persuade Chris Brown to be different. Because he will literally never listen to me. <laughs> but I have made the decision that the his behavior is something I don't want to endorse with anything. Even the like few half pennies... Someone gets from me streaming their streaming their song. I don't want to even contribute to that, so I've made the decision to not listen to his music. Whereas there are other people that I like; and they maybe don't have great political opinions, or they don't have political opinions that a hundred percent agree with me. But at the end of the day, they haven't done anything in terms of their behavior, as that I know about. That is harming other people, so I'll continue to support them with my few pennies from streaming their music. So that that would be like my recommendation about engaging with someone like Taylor Swift. If you don't like her politics, that's okay, but you have to decide do you want to still engage with her content or not. And if you don't, then stop listening to her music and don't follow her on social media, so you don't have to see her political opinions. But like at the end of the day, political opinions are people's personal opinions. And although celebrities feel like they're not people, they are. And they get to have personal opinions. So I I do think it's a little bit silly when people say stick to singing or stick to whatever. It's like no, that we're a country made of a political system where everybody is supposed to have a say. So you have to let people have their say. So all of this to say that there was definitely a large portion of Taylor's career where because she was so silent about what she believed about the world or what she valued. A lot of people were able to project a lot of different things on her. And I think it kind of came to a head with her reputation era. And that's why I think the reputation era is so interesting, even if it for many people was one of the worst albums. Um, It's kind of this idea of her rebelling against this white feminist label and this good girl label. If you're not fluent in Taylor Swift eras, as I know some of my listeners are, when her Reputation album came out, a lot of the imagery was snakes. It's like snake emojis on everything. Her costumes were snakes. I think her stage was like a giant snake when she toured the album. Just snakes galore. And a lot more like costumes that were darker colors or wearing all black. Whereas in the past, she had been you know, one to wear like bright colors to be more traditionally feminine. And so what there was this kind of message behind this album that this was her kind of reclaiming her reputation, that her reputation had on one hand been trashed by people because they just made assumptions about her and that she had not been in control of it. And so there was this kind of shift um, after reputation where she was kind of communicating to her fans like this is me i'm a little bit more in charge this is also then around the time when she starts becoming more open about her political beliefs this is when she does gosh she does one of the documentaries where she talks more about like kind of herself she reveals a lot more of herself than she ever had um which was so interesting because for so long her fans had just deciphered every word of her song every lyrics of her songs as like her confessing things to them and then she finally came out and was like this is me these are the things about me that I'm willing to share with you um and I think not all of it matched up with what her fans thought of her now I will say in terms of rebellion the reputation era is like the most toast rebellion I've ever seen like okay girly you, you put a snake emoji in your bio and you wore a little cat suit like I'm I'm glad you're you're feeling things out um but I do think it was important for her to kind of push back against the good girl narrative I think she has some more pushing back to do against the white feminist label and I'd love to see her step into that more but this kind of brings me to my final point which is very similar to the point I made about Barbie but this idea that we ask celebs to be all things to all people I think it may be a futile attempt to try to make Taylor Swift someone who is the perfect role model. We already know that her more conservative listeners don't think that she's a good role model because she's not falling into line with their values and their political ideas. But on the other side of the spectrum, and I've seen this happening, well, I guess maybe I'm more plugged into it now because I'm on TikTok, but... I see this happen in the Swifty community now where the reputation that Taylor has among her fans is that she is like this irreproachable, perfect role model, and she must be all good things to all of her fans. So not only does she have to be good at making her music, she has to have all of the right political beliefs that her fans have. She has to be in the right relationships that they want her to have. She has to respond to every current event in the way that they want her to respond. I mean, it's, it's, it's exhausting what they what the Swifty community is looking for from her. And, you know, I, I'm a more casual Swifty, so I, I don't really care what Taylor Swift has to say about certain current events as much as I see some other people. Um, but there is this this big push for her to be exactly what they want her to be. And I'm not going to get into the gayler of it all right now, because I think that could be its own episode. I will say I am a byler, if that helps anyone to feel comfortable with me. <laughs> um, but, like, there's a lot of conversations about her sexuality, and there are people who are like, I will be disappointed in her if it turns out that she really is a straight woman. And there are also people that will be disappointed in her if she is a queer woman. So... She she literally cannot win. So what happens when she messes up? What happens when she does something that her fans don't like? And lucky for us, she just recently did something her fans did not like, which was she dated Maddie Healy of the 1975 for upwards of a month. <laughs> when the rumors started to come out that like t- the, the tabloid headlines started to come out that they had been spotted together and there were pictures of them like holding hands or something, her fans were rabid with a desire for her to break up with him. There were people who stopped listening to her music because she was dating him. There were people who like harassed fans who did like the 1975 because of what they thought Maddie Healy had done. It was it was wild. And you know, like I said earlier, if it's your personal like decision to not engage with someone's content, that's fine. If you don't listen to Taylor Swift because she was with Maddie Healy, that's 100% like your decision to make and you have to like make the decision that's healthy for you. What I don't like was then fans who would be like, you are a bad person if you continue to listen to her music while she's with this person. There is a big difference between having a vaguely shitty boyfriend and doing like a war crime. <laughs> okay, like on the spectrum of bad behavior, Taylor Swift is really doing something that many of us do, Right. A lot of people have boyfriends who are not great, right? Or they do things that maybe you or I would not approve of. But here, here the boyfriend is doing those things. I might be a little biased here because I do really like the nineteen seventy-five, and I think that Matty Healy's politics overall are actually quite good. He's a leftist. I don't, I don't know if he identifies as like a communist, but he's a leftist. He talks a lot about labor movements. He has supported a lot of important causes and he also happens to be someone who was previously addicted to heroin does not have a great relationship with substances and maybe kisses underage fans at his shows even though he checks their ids now like i said vaguely shitty behavior that you know i don't need to date maddie healy i don't need to think that he's a good person but like for me the things that he's done i can still engage with his music and separate like the artist from the art especially because he's in a band so it's like there's other people there maybe I'm rationalizing but in my opinion like Maddie Healy is not the worst man in the universe that Taylor Swift could have started dating and I remember when this whole Maddie Healy thing was going on with Taylor Swift I remember being confused of like okay she's dated some real whoppers in the past before and I don't remember people being this up in arms but this is also like post her confirming to her fans that she is more on the liberal side or more on the left and i think there was this, this hope from her fans that now that she has finally come out with her political ideas now that she finally has identified as one of us she's she's very open and supportive of the lgbtq community she was supportive of like protests during after George Floyd was murdered and the kind of racial reckoning that was going on in the country, like for a lot of her fans, it seemed like she has finally endorsed all the quote unquote right opinions. So her dating someone like Maddie that they felt was not in line with their political opinions. It was like, it was like the worst thing that she could have ever done. And there was so much projection Of what does it mean for me if I like someone who or like someone's art who interacts with someone who I don't like and they maybe don't have the exact right on political same political opinions on as me. And she got a lot of backlash. She got a lot of people talking crap on the internet about her because she was seen with him. To be perfectly fair, I think it was a PR thing. I do not think that they actually dated. They've been friends for a long time. He used to wear a shirt with her album cover on it, she opened at one of their concerts in England. Like, they're friends. I think they were doing this to, like, screw around with people after she broke up with Joe. So, like, I don't think it was really even that serious. Um, But she just, she got so much backlash for it. And I heard someone on a pop culture podcast say, that they thought it was kind of gross how all these fans were trying to tell a grown woman what to do with her body and her relationship. And I really resonated with that because I think I can kind of map onto these conversations that we had about people like Amanda Bynes or Britney Spears, where there's this idea that the fans know best and whatever they demand is what the celebrity should do. And, You know, I don't know. I don't know about Brittany's a little more complicated, but I know with Amanda Bynes, like, she needed to be conserved. She needed someone to kind of come in and take care of her. She was not doing well. And the conservatorship has been pretty much overall positive from what I've seen. I think, you know, it's not not something that I think needs to go on forever, and hopefully it does end. But I think that there are a lot of things that we as fans think we know is best for people, when really we have no standing to make those opinions known or, I mean, we can make them known, but like there's, what are they going to do about it? Like there's, there's nothing we can do to impact this, this person's life. And this happens with women so much more than it happens with men. And maybe this is what Taylor's song is about, (laughs) but like this idea that Taylor is so much of an infant to know what to do with her dating relationships and that she needs to be bullied into breaking up with Maddie Healy. Like, She has autonomy and agency. She gets to choose to have a vaguely shitty boyfriend. Sorry, but we have to be, you have to be okay with that. Just like when one of your friends has a vaguely shitty boyfriend, you can make your opinion known, but then you got to shut up. Because if you don't keep, if you don't zip your lip, you're going to lose that friendship. Because no one wants to hang out with you if every conversation they have with you is how much you hate their partner. And I say this from personal experience. (laughs) Personal and clinical experience. So I I just think that overall what we have is the situation where Taylor has long had labels applied to her, which may have been applied to her fairly or unfairly. And even though she has worked very hard to curate her image, the image that she has ended up with now is an image that still allows people to project so much of their own beliefs, their own intensity on it. And so when she takes any step outside of the little curated box she has, it's going to impact her fans. And as much as I wish I could tell the, like, probably billion Swifties in the world to chill out, I can't. I can't tell them that. Nor can I tell Taylor Swift to how to be a feminist or how to manage her own reputation or her own career like I can't I can't do either of those so what I would say is I think that Taylor Swift can be an interesting case study in how an identity can be projected onto someone and no matter how intensely you believe in that identity it is not going to change the actual identity or behavior of that person And this this happens in, in real life, right? This doesn't just happen in our parasocial relationships with celebrities. Sometimes when we're really close to people, like a partner or a friend or a sibling or a parent, we have this idea of them that we want them to live up to so badly. And when they don't live up to it, it's so disappointing. And it's so painful when people don't live up to those identities. And I'm not saying to stop. Like the projection I think is kind of part of what being human is it's it's part of our like hope for the people in our lives so it's more about being able to take care of yourself when people don't match up to our expectations and I think my like one solid piece of advice out of this is in personal relationships like celebrities whatever cancel a celebrity or not I don't care (laughs) but in your personal relationships I I think that sometimes it can be really important to take stock of is this worth rupturing a relationship completely over is this person not matching up to my projection onto them is that enough to burn the bridge and I think sometimes we are really quick to burn the bridge for that reason and I don't know if that's always the best reason to burn the bridge I think that there can be incredible growth that comes out of being able to see a person you're in a relationship with for who they really are versus the idea you have of them and I'm not talking about like abuse situations or, or anything like that or, or things that are like really damaging. But these kind of more small or low stakes differences between what I want my partner to be and who they really are, I think incredible growth can come out of learning to accept and love and appreciate those parts of the people in your life that don't match up with what you want them to be and learning when to communicate your expectations and your own boundaries so that the people in your life do more maybe closely match what you're looking for in your relationships. So although I spent this whole episode talking about Taylor Swift, I really hope that you can walk away with this idea of the projection, the image that we put on other people is not always the absolute truth and it may not be worth ruining a ruining or throwing away a relationship just because you don't match up your your projection to who they really are. So giving yourself a little grace and a little acceptance in how do you want to navigate those situations when they come up. So all of that to say, this is why I titled the episode, Taylor Swift won't lead the revolution and that's okay. She won't. She's one woman with some pretty okay political beliefs and a lot of money and Maybe she could do some some really good works in the world, but she's not going to lead the revolution that maybe we sometimes want her to, and it's okay. we have to be okay with that. We don't need all of our celebrities to be political leaders and saviors. Sometimes they can just be celebrities that give us entertainment and help us feel seen and connect with a larger community when that's what we need so I just want to say thank you for listening all the way through to the end, and I will see you in the next one. Bye-bye!